I'm Nicole Kasperson, fintech journalist, and this is What the Fintech. As a journalist who has covered the finance sector over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to interview and engage with some of the best minds in the space. The media landscape is changing, and financial services is grabbing the attention of a more diversified audience than ever before. As a member of that growing demographic, I will provide direct access to the inner workings of a complex industry while bringing an unconventional perspective to news coverage. Leaving big bank earning reports to the boring traditional media firms, I'll focus on the tech-savvy apps, digital investing platforms, challenger banks, and payment giants to drive relevant content that looks forward to disruption instead of fearing it. It's important to stay ahead of fraud risks that can slow growth for your fintech business. And that's where SIF steps in. I know my fintech people will appreciate their careful approach to security. SIF prevents fraud with end-to-end protection. Interested in finding out more? Head to Miami in April to meet with SIF at Bitcoin 2022. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of What the Fintech, the podcast for fintech professionals who are ready to shape the future of our industry with innovation and inclusion. I'm your host, Nicole Kasperson, and today I'm interviewing Catherine Anthony. She's the CEO of Euphoria, a technology suite for transgender souls that helps alleviate the struggles associated with gender transition. Within Euphoria's tech suite is a banking and savings app called Bliss, which helps users come up with a budget and timeline to visualize how close they are to their transition-related goals. Bliss, which is built in conjunction with banking platform Jico, brings fintech to the gender transition process. And that can change lives. In this episode, Kate shares how fintech has helped her become the woman she is today, the honest truths about financial struggles for trans souls, And we discuss the highs and lows of mental health as fintech founders. Catherine, welcome to What the Fintech. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Well, to start, I want to ask, how are you today and where are you working from? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm working from actually my apartment in Denver, Colorado. So, you know, just living that good life of being a startup and still working out of your own place. Uh, But, you know, probably not too dissimilar from a lot of folks with the uh, pandemic over the last two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love asking that question because it's just so fun to always see. I get to see all my guests like backgrounds and like, for example, yours is super bright. And if you're watching this on video, you'll see, right? There's like so many colors. We're kind of like we have like some similar color scheme here. But it's hard to tell, right? Like, could that be your home office or could that be an actual office that you've created? And if that was the case, then I would typically ask like, ooh, what is the working situation for your company, for your employees? But I guess you're mostly remote. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, uh, we're a team of three full-time employees and uh, myself and my co-founder have the, the luxury and the privilege of being able to work together every day. And then our, our third just works from home. So it's still a small enough team that we can kind of get away with working from anywhere. So, you know, perks of being uh, small but mighty. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Small but mighty. Well, to start also, I'd love to learn just more about you and your experiences. You're building this incredible solution for the trans community via fintech. Will you share your relationship with technology and how it enabled you to be the woman that you are today? 
as shocking as an omission as this is this is going to be, but I am a woman who happens to be transgender. That's one of my favorite jokes to throw. Uh, I'm very overtly transgender. And for me, the process of transition has been incredibly difficult over the last seven, almost eight years. And I was so flustered by the lack of solutions and guidance and tools that could help me learn what to do or afford what I needed to afford. You know, transition was really this black box. And so I started making my own products uh, that would be able to help guide someone like me through gender transition. And at first it was, you know, pretty simple charter. It was, you know, I need to make something for my own transition and hopefully can make one other trans person's life better. And we since released it and it really took off. And so it's interesting to just be a, a human being that is like a product of my own product mm-hmm. um, because it's such a incredible like transformation of the body. You're like really terraforming flesh to become who you are. And so like a lot of founders can say, yeah, I use my own app, but like I'm one of the few that can say I am who I am because of my apps. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the relationship. Like, you know, I like to think of myself made woman, but like I'm really a tech enabled woman more than anything. Um, so that's kind of me in a nutshell. I love the way you put it, right? Like literally a, a product of the thing you've built, if you, I guess, you know, like to actually go through, and that's what makes, I think your experience so unique is to actually go through the same things that your end user is, right? And there are founders that have, I guess, stories in different capacities, but this is something so unique, so different than what I think we're typically seeing, right? Obviously in the space, because, you know, up until now, who has been serving this community? It's like, feels like no one, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, we were kind of the the driving force in yeah. this new industry that is trans tech. I mean, prior to 2019, there really wasn't anything there, which is part of the impetus of why we existed. But yeah, we were totally alone and now it's starting to grow. And, you know, thank God, because this is an incredibly complicated process. I wouldn't have managed it without my own technology. And seeing more and more solutions kind of coming online just gives me, it gives me a hell of a lot of hope. You know, the things are getting better and that people are willing to put time, talent, and energy behind not just people like me, but solutions that support people like me, particularly in fintech too, which is what, you know, brings us here today. Yeah, exactly. And so I think before we jump into some of the details of Euphoria and Bliss, um, I think first to just address some of those key financial struggles for the trans community um, and would just love to get maybe into some of more of like the nuances faced every day that, you know, unless you're going through these experiences or you have a loved one going through these, through these experiences, you really don't ever see, right? I mean, in terms of the present challenges, we've got a, we've got a couple. One is that discrimination is alive and well. We are living in a society where people are becoming prog- uh, progressively more aware of the challenges that affect people with overt differences. But it's also something that people get really squeamish around admitting. Mm-hmm. So if I'm talking to someone and saying, hey, like someone refused me service, uh, the knee jerk reaction is to say, well, that didn't happen or it must have been for some different reason or there's downplaying. So we've got this, you know, incredibly hot culture war that's going on in the U.S. But even the people that are trying to support my community are often, you know, rather, you know, just kind of taking like this burying their head in the sand approach. So it's an incredibly lonely place to be ostracized by society on kind of both sides of the coin. Um, so that's one piece of it. And then the second piece that, you know, really kind of afflicts this community is the, the affordability. 
Uh, gender transition isn't cheap. Costs about 150 grand out of pocket. And that is outside of insurance. I think a lot of people think that this is just an insurance problem, but I've got top tier insurance here in Colorado and I cannot afford to complete my transition with my insurance. I'm going to have to go out of pocket, you know, for another major surgical procedure. And that's heartbreaking because it's incredibly expensive. I have to navigate my own healthcare by myself. Uh, there isn't anyone helping manage it. And despite having the most idyllic circumstances on my end, you know, an income, a supportive company, insurance, all these different factors that should just, you know, be able to push me over the line, I'm still inhibited by these larger systems. And so those are kind of like two big, like great pains, like that inhibit these communities, but it trickles down into thousands of micro interactions a day and just wears and grinds on your soul. And that's unfortunately why my community has an 81% suicide ideation rate. Because when you get rejected by everyone and your healthcare is treated as uh, cosmetic, what do you do? And that's an unfortunate just kind of stop sign a lot of people like me are standing at and trying to figure out what is the path forward? Is this a dead end or is this a fork in the road? Mm -hmm, exactly. And I mean, from just like the feelings of rejection from society and then the from the healthcare system and then to just like top it off with even, you know, the financial system. Geez, like how, like how many like areas of rejection can one soul take? And when it comes to financial services, it's crazy disappointing, right? Because we have the technology, we've proven with fintech that we can, you know, make certain processes faster, we can make things happen, we can find new ways to confirm someone's identity, whether, you know, they're changing it or, you know, evolving into something that is, you know, suitable to who they are in their soul, you know, why can't we help those people when we have proven that we have the technology to do so? And that's why I get like frustrated even with financial services myself and why I have like this platform to talk about these things because I'm like, hello, why aren't we doing better? Like why? Yeah, I sometimes like am so stumbled by that question and it like, yeah, it's just awful that like we can't open up access to to more people to have financial services that everyone should have, right? I think the other thing that's just really frustrating with it all is that the U.S. healthcare system is set up in such a way that finance and healthcare are one of the same. Mm. You cannot access healthcare in this country without a bank account. Um, you can't access really anything without a bank account, but it is the the current in which we all travel upon. And so to your point, the fact that we know how to make these systems more inclusive, but we haven't, is a profound disappointment and speaks to a much more larger and systemic issue that is still just plaguing, plaguing the U.S., unfortunately. Clearly, this, the, this is a community. The trans community is in critical need of financial services. And I mean, what a whole other like can of worms, right, to think about the fact that like the like two legacy systems of financial services and the healthcare system are like so intertwined and in that, you know, to kind of work in one or the other is very, very challenging. I'm just so happy that like kudos to you for just creating a solution that addresses, you know, the financial exclusion that is so high among the transgender community. But from, I guess, your point of view before getting into like what you've built, what do you think just like could be done better overall? Are there like certain instances where you're like, oh, I've seen a financial service company maybe uh, actually help or that sort of thing? Are you like, nope, it's just like, it's just bliss. We're the only ones like really addressing this in 
a real way. We're seeing some modest improvements. And so I think what we're kind of squaring off against is the overt challenges and kind of the covert challenges. So the overt ones is that, you know, every bank in the U.S. should be able to be equipped to, you know, go through the KYC process with a transgender person. Uh, it's not too terribly complicated. Luckily, that's not what in, underpins uh, Bliss is proprietary magic, but it's something that every institution should be able to handle. Um, they should be able to handle the incongruence of one's name. You know, if there's uh, a difference, you know, in terms of legal ID. I mean, we've got people that get married and legally change their name, but they still have their maiden name on their bank accounts, and that's permissible. So that's just one really concrete area that we could get a lot of you know help with. But then the most covert things is is a practice you know known as lavender lining. So it is you know shutting off transgender or the larger LGBT community from financial services based on bias. So if you walk into a bank and someone looks at you differently, I know I get that quite a bit. Um, you know, people look at my height or they hear my voice and they immediately assume different. You know, the way you get interacted with will be significantly different if you don't have those overt characteristics. Um, you know, I've been denied loans. Um, I've been denied services just simply based on existing and walking through the door. So those are kind of the two major challenges. Um, we are slowly but surely starting to see movement on things like debit cards having more inclusive name policies or, you know, these larger institutions participating in pride to be able to signal that they're open to people like me. But it's still a far cry from true equality. So it's not to be a cynic per se, but we want to be clear eyed when we look at these great problems of society and we can say we've taken one step forward, but this is a marathon. You know, we've got hundreds of thousands of steps to go. Mm -hmm, right, exactly, and and thank you. That was very well put, and um, you know, and helpful. I just I I asked because you know I, I have um, the my podcast is for you know financial services and fintech professionals, and so I want them to hear you know if there's anything that you know they can do in their power, right, to to help make a more inclusive financial services or I guess you know in fintech industry. Yeah, I want them to kind of to hear it. So thank you for sharing that. And before we kind of also get more into into bliss and what you feel here, I also want to address just kind of the fact that, you know, financial services and mental health have really been separated when they are so connected. Like, oh my gosh, I can't even like think about a financial decision I've made that isn't like so tied to what the hell's going on in, in this brain. So how does maybe bliss help users from that mental health standpoint? I think Bliss does two things really, really well on that front. One is that, you know, we put a big focus on affirmation. So for people like me, uh, transgender souls, uh, sometimes we miss out on those gendered affirmations that our cisgender peers um, often get. Like, you know, it may be going out of vogue to use honorifics, but when someone says like Miss Kate, or I see that written on a letter, uh, my heart skips a beat. So a platform like Bliss is able to infuse those gendered affirmations um, and understand the user and what they actually need from that perspective. So that's one way that, you know, we're helping with the mental health and that psychological affirmation alone is, is really critical. But the second thing we do is that we're able to contextualize a user's gender transition. And by looking at their savings habits, we can look at the timeline and trajectory in which they will reach these various goals. And so for someone like myself, you know, I'm looking towards, you know, a gender affirming surgery, I actually have a hard date when that's going to happen because of bliss. And humans at large were motivated by goals. I mean, 
you know, I'm guessing that, you know, most people, particularly with this pandemic, felt most destitute when it didn't feel like there was a goalpost or when there was an end date. I think everyone feels the worst when it just feels like your choices don't matter and you're stuck in a system of forever. And so when you're looking at these massive costs or these massive savings goals for transgender people, they can feel really abstract and kind of just like dissipated into the forever or never going to happen. Bliss radically rewrites that to be able to say, this is the date in which the thing you've been working for all your life becomes accessible. This is the date in which you get to fully become who you are. This is the date in which you get to be free from that broken body. And that has the power to save lives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it is when you can visualize something and and actually see that the end goal is not something unobtainable and that there's actually tools here to to help you progress and reach and reach the goal that that you're after maybe it took the pandemic for people to realize how impactful something like that is and um you know for everyone but you know particularly someone transitioning right like it's it's the ux of an app that is is so important but will you also walk us through like what that looks like from when a user you know signs up to just kind of the the end goal, I guess, if you will, of uh, using Bliss? Bliss's UI is part of what we consider uh, Euphorian UX. It's really different and unconventional from other technologies that are in the marketplace. So we see a lot of people kind of creating these really sterile and just kind of boring fintech applications. We wanted to create something that just oozed poetry. So users are signing up. um, And the first thing that's kind of unique about Bliss is that Bliss establishes a first-person relationship with the user. So the application is asking for information using terms like you, your, myself, and I. And it creates a much deeper relationship than, you know, just entering your birthday here. Whereas in Bliss's syntax, it's what's your birthday? I need to ask this for compliance, but I also want to celebrate your big day. And so you've kind of got like this artificial companion moving along with you. And so throughout the whole KYC process, Bliss is really empathetic to the challenges the transgender people face. So suppose you have a uh, incongruence in terms of what your actual name is and what your legal name is. Bliss will still ask for the legal name, but to contextualize why it's important and then only refer to the user as their true name moving forward. And that kind of process repeats for every point of the KYC process. But once a user has completed that, uh, they're greeted by an Emily Dickinson poem. It's just kind of the way we kick off the Bliss experience. And then they see this beautiful, like, dark background of the app with all these progress bars and various goals that they can look through and add to their list. And at any point, they can tap on the home screen and it shifts the amount of money they've saved for a goal into a time conversion to show them how long it will take for them to reach their goals. Because Bliss understands that money is just a stand-in for time. It's just a haphazardly converted unit that enables people to move faster or slower throughout this life. So the application has an understanding of that, works with the user to try to move through time as quickly as possible. It's also one of those things that people can just go to www.bliss.lgbt and check it out themselves because the application is free to download And we're really proud of it. And even for non-transgender people, it's a pretty novel savings platform. And it may work for them. And that UX may resonate on that side as well. Right. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And um, yeah, and and just being super right, intentional and and respectful of trans individuals 
when developing, right, a KYC process and which in your seat, right, like, like how else better to do so unless you've experienced it yourself, right, to, to know what feels good when you have like an app talking to you or, or having that like personalization or when your heart skips a beat because it's calling you the, the you know, name that's true to you and your soul. I will ask just out of curiosity, why the Emily Dickinson poems to, in the intro? The poem is, is called Sex. And the thesis of the poem is about having purpose in this life. And so the way we think about it is it's, it's how bliss speaks to the user. And the poem is talking about if they can help, you know, one fainting robin, you know, who's fallen from the nest, return to it. You know, I shall live a life with purpose. My life shall not be in vain. And so that was kind of our understanding of bliss's ethos, bliss's drive and zeal to see our users as someone who's maybe fallen out of the nest or fallen on hard times or has dealt with so much hardship. And if bliss can be helpful in terms of getting them back up, you know, into the nest and eventually ready to take off and fly with their own wings, you know, then that is, uh, that's something worthwhile. So I don't know. It's the process of going through transition is such a life or death matter. We wanted to meet that proposition with just an earnest showing of, we understand that this is absolutely it and there's no fuck ups allowed on our end. Yeah. So we're going to treat this with the reverence and the severity and the gravity that is required to enter into this type of relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, So what's a better way to do that than invoke high poetry of the 1600s? I'm a huge fan of what SIFT is doing to protect businesses in the fintech space. They're going all out to prevent fraud and improve growth with dynamic friction. When you're focused on aggressive growth, it's great to know they're on your side every step of the way, fighting in your corner through their digital trust and safety technology. They've already signed up some major players in the fintech industry, including big name digital banks, loyalty platforms, plus blockchain and Bitcoin companies. Interested in finding out more about protecting your business? Visit SIF.com to learn more. You know, I think sometimes like fintech apps or apps in general can kind of do this like almost like a downplay of your behaviors or emotions, right? Like like a forced optimism or that type of thing, instead of like just addressing the realities of it, which is what you're doing here, right? Like the reality is, is that this is a life or death situation. The reality is that like the stats are, you know, what they are on, you know, the trans community and the the exclusion and, and the mental health issues and all of those things. So like, sometimes I think like it makes people feel like almost a sign of relief when you actually see some something kind of like address all of the real emotions that you feel as opposed to being like oh but be happy like the <laughs> you know like it's it, it can be frustrating like sometimes um you know and i would relate that to almost like like the super body positivity movement right like oh but everyone's beautiful and it's like that's cool thanks for telling me but like what is like an, an actual solution to make me feel beautiful and so anyway that's um yeah i just that's like a really amazing thing to do. And I love the the poetry aspect as well, which I guess also kind of lends itself maybe to like almost a sense of community that comes with being a part of the app and like the euphoria kind of uh, suite of apps and then the, the bliss community. I mean, is that something that you're kind of planning on building or like, was that an intention with the app or was it more so just to feel that that personalization with the tech? That's kind of the big head fake of all of our technology. Uh, there's no community aspect. Uh, we don't even reference the idea of a community. We don't share our specific user counts because 
there's a phrase, the transgender community, and that gets thrown around a lot. Mm -hmm. But when I think about transgender people, it's just men, women, and people with slightly atypical uh, genomic uh, compositions. So for me to have a natural affinity with others like me doesn't make a ton of sense just because, you know, like for yourself, you wouldn't only network with people with, you know, brown or black hair. Right. So I'm not only going to network with transgender people, which is just something that often happens to minority groups. But that being said, that's where Bliss and our other technologies have been really successful because they see the individual for whom they are. It's not like you're part of this grand group of people and we're all in solidarity together and we're struggling together. It's much more matter of fact, this is your life. You know, I care about you as an individual. I'm not using anyone who has analogous situations as any sort of like, you know, litmus test or yardstick. And instead I'm saying, you know, at least directed towards myself, I'd be saying, you know, Kate, you matter. And in a world that gets so often robbed by that, you know, we are so often like just not able to hear our own names or think of ourselves as individuals. It's really important to be able to carve out space for people that is outside of the idea of community, outside of the notion of kind of collective ownership over things. And instead, you know, the magic of technology of being able to have that personalized experience with every single download and it being flawless. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a departure in thinking in terms of how a lot of people approach this community and tech as kind of a larger sphere. But, you know, clearly it's working for us. And, you know, if I had to make idle speculation, I think more people are going to start taking that path moving forward. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That, and that's, that's interesting to think about because, right, you're right, like the community word gets thrown around quite a bit, even just like among any like minority group, right? And I totally get though that like at the end of the day, you know, to, yes, it's nice to, you know, have a group that supports you of people that are going through, I guess, something that you're going through as well. But, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's like the only place to find any kind of like alleviation, I guess, you know, and also just kind of the the thought of, you know, I, I have to also spend time actually focusing on just like myself sometimes like the community aspect actually can feel like pressure like you can almost feel like a certain amount of pressure to like okay now I got to be like happy in a community but like I'm trying to like just figure out myself so yeah I I I love that you have like kind of just like you know kind of what the transsoul needs you know kind of what needs maybe there's like too many communities out there and we need to like think of just like the yeah and and have the connection with a with you know technology that actually can can be helpful which also leads me to ask a little bit about your take on financial literacy and some of the misconceptions around trans souls and you know maybe how bliss and just even just you sitting in your seat and being on your platform kind of helps you know demystify a lot of that yeah so this is just like another area where maybe i'm a bit too much of a contrarian for my own good, but I think the need for financial literacy is grossly overstated. Human beings are really smart. We're all actually very smart individuals, but particularly with founders or people in my seat, sometimes we get a little bit of a complex that we know better than other people. You know, we think we know how to educate people the right way. We've got the right schooling. We've got the right pedigree, but all that is, in my opinion, remarkably condescending. So the way we approach financial literacy is, well, frankly, we don't. We create a experience where our users are able to have the fastest possible experience. We're not getting in their way. 
We're giving them the means to be able to contextualize things in the way that they would want to. But we're not sending out weekly emails about, you know, the virtues of adding $10 to your savings account every weekend. That kind of stuff doesn't help anyone. And so I think particularly with the trans, you know, kind of soul and, you know, how, you know, as a homogenous group, sometimes we get treated is that there's a lot of infantilization. Someone would look at me being like, oh, you don't know how to girl. So you must be dumb in X, Y and Z areas. And it's just like, yeah, it took me a while to figure out how to weaponize a mascara wand. But I know how to run a budget better than probably anyone else in my circle. Mm -hmm. I'm an individual at the core of things. And so I think that's kind of where we come at things. It's, It's that just out of your way, you know, experience that validation of saying, you know, you know what you're doing with your money. You're moving in the ways that you need to. And at the end of the day, it's one of the biggest skills that everyone in the country possesses. Like, how do you have enough money to get to the end of the day? But how do you have enough money to reach your various goals? And an app wagging its finger at you saying, oh, you should be saving, you know, 4% more this month isn't really going to move the needle for anyone. Mm -hmm. So again, just another contrarian point, you know, from Team Euphoria, but that that is largely where we are derivative of our success, you know, where everyone else is, we zag. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, keep just keep kind of following, right, your group, because it's clearly, you know, working. And I love it. I love how I love when folks have different viewpoints on on these things, and especially kind of like these more trendier topics, right? Community, financial literacy, financial education, these things get thrown around a lot. But, you know, you have to do kind of what's best for like, you know, the goal you're setting for your for your user base. And at the end of the day, they, you know, you're they're probably told already, like, right, you can't girl, you can't boy, you can't whatever. Okay, like, let me not tell you that you can't financial education as well. <laughs> like, you know, what you're, you're smart, you know, what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Let me like, stop telling you what you can't and start telling you what like you can and that and, and that there are so many kind of like, things that you can do, especially with like the technology. Cause I know that the Euphoria suite also has like different apps that target kind of like different aspects of, you know, your life with, with bliss, just kind of focusing on the, this financial aspect. But I would ask also like when it comes to kind of the, the bliss app and, you know, measuring like success on, from your point, is there like an aspect of a user's journey or, you know, something or a certain story that you've, or something or an experience has happened that makes you just feel like, oh, this, this app has really made an impact and changed someone's life. Like, when do you feel that success for your company? Like our banking as a service partner, GCO, we hold privacy, you know, absolutely near and dear. It's an incredibly important issue to us. So we're not looking at individual data points. You know, we're not monitoring the user's, you know, specific activity or time spent on app. But one of the things we do see is where people are signing up, you know, from. And so the biggest amounts of joy, and we typically see it in the dead of night. I mean, it's between the hours of 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. Someone applying, you know, for a Bliss account or opening one. And it's when it's in locations like Wyoming or South Dakota or Arkansas or Mississippi or the places that are typically not super welcoming to a soul like mine. That just makes my heart glow Mm -hmm. because... My speculation is that person is wondering, how do they make this distance? How do they traverse this incredibly difficult journey? They probably don't have a lot of local resources around them. The culture in which surrounds them is probably not overwhelmingly positive, but yet they found hope with an app download. And they found a way to be able to see the other side of the gauntlet of transition and 
beyond into a spectacular future. And they chose to be brave enough to download the app that night. So those are kind of the milestones that mean the most. I mean, we're for-profit companies, so we've got our own internal targets and, you know, we want have certain performance metrics we obviously want to meet. But there's nothing like watching someone come in from the rural and then suddenly belong. And that's just the magic of bliss. I mean, that is an answer that I have, you know, never heard before uh, when I ask guess this, right? Like, and yeah, and just what a unique, but like eye-opening and um, beautiful kind of like moment of and feeling of success, right? To, to feel that like you're in Colorado, right? Like to feel that like an app that you've created or a, a fintech platform that you've created, right? Is reaching someone that can feel so far away, but that they're taking that a step towards, uh, you know, what is going to be a beautiful journey, right? In, in subcapacity is really amazing. And then kind of just from from the like, I guess, more businessy standpoint, then how does Bliss and um, I guess, yeah, just Bliss and I guess Euphoria in general um, make money? So currently Bliss isn't making money. Um, we've got some other products that we're working on that we're excited to roll out. Um, I can't share too much because uh, uh, Bliss and Jico work closely together. Uh, so I got to run everything mm-hmm. I say through compliance, but um, there are monetized products on its way. And so that's something we look forward to. The Euphorian suite is monetized through a couple different ways. It changes from app to app to app. It's somewhat insignificant in the scheme of things because our long-term focus is deeper and deeper financial products for the transgender community. So we're very much in that startup phase of being able to say, hey, we're building, you know, we're understanding what's drawing people in, what's helping with retention. We are an entirely blue ocean. So we have to do a lot of learning before we start making moves. So, you know, we're out to sea without much wind in our sails right now. But, you know, we're quickly fashioning them. And particularly with our friends at Jico, we're expecting to catch them soon and really start to be able to generate some, some substantial revenue. Um, in a way that isn't taxing the user. So, yeah, I don't mean to be coy. And, oh, no, that's okay. Uh, apologies for not diving <laughs> further, but, uh, you know, that's just kind of the state of, state of the state right now. Yeah. No, no, no. That's perfect. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, uh, yeah, I know. I threw, threw the curveball at you. Got to ask the hard question sometimes. Of course. Um, but so thank you. I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I guess like one thing, I guess one of the my last like questions when it comes to the app really is, kind of like that long-term vision, right? You know, for for your view, it's really not about like, oh, like they reach a certain goal and then they like graduate away from Bliss as a safe, as like a finance app, right? I imagine the goal is to like, you know, to be their financial services provider throughout their entire lives because, you know, you've, you've been with them on this journey and then, you know, why not be there for all of the journeys? You're 100% right. You know, the way we think about it is that a lot of banks, financial institutions, fintech players, neobanks, you know, whomever, they're competing for different ideas. And, and one of the more common things is competing for that first home. That's kind of the first big major financial purchase that people make. Whereas what we focus on is the forever home, you know, the vessel for the soul, you know, one's body. And so exactly to your point, the thought process is that once we're able to get someone through that process, we can help dream about life beyond. I have the same, you know, hopes and dreams as cisgender people. 
I just happen to have a certain set of prerequisites, if you will, that I need to accomplish before that. So I'm going to be looking towards the financial institution that helped me kind of on that first part to be able to reach and kind of extend into, you know, all the other things that we're trying to accomplish. I mean, you know, I want to be a mom someday, uh, but, you know, adoption is incredibly expensive. I do want to be a homeowner. So how do I get that down payment? I would love to have a credit card that says Kate on it um, rather than Catherine or my legal first name. But those things aren't there yet. And so those are kind of the things that we're dreaming about. What is that end-to-end financial relationship look like? And how do we do it in such a way that we always understand where the user came from, but more importantly, where they're going to? That makes a ton of sense. And I'm so excited for, you know, to see the bliss and euphoria growth and to just see just more lives saved and changed and, you know, to create that that better financial future and overall well-being for more people. Um, that is like exactly what we are here for. And that's what I believe fintech is supposed to do. That's why like it's here on this planet. But so to kind of ask, one thing I also love to ask my guests is a little bit about their own navigation of like being a founder while maintaining your own mental well-being. You know, it's hard. I am the founder of this this content brand. And um, you know, it's it's hard. You're you're constantly giving output of yourself and it can be super hard to remember to, you know, take, take care of this and this. And so I always love to ask my guests kind of how they are uh, navigating their own mental health and just while they're building out their FinTech platforms. I guess in the spirit of candor, like I'm not navigating it well on my end. I feel my mental health deteriorating in real time. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was dealing with some intense uh, suicide ideation which came from the pressure and the inability to be taken seriously or the triple intersection I stand at in terms of the challenges I face as a founder. And so I think we talk about mental health, you know, as, as founders, as, you know, enterprising individuals and in sometimes a cavalier way, or we put in the lens of self-care and, you know, it's about a choice to be happy. And kind of to your earlier point, sometimes those moments, like it's really trite when people say things like that. And I also feel like the expectation of founders is that we're always saying like, yeah, everything's great. Everything's going wonderful. Like I can do this over and over again. But I mean, building any sort of fintech is incredibly hard. I cried during more meetings than I'd like to admit. I have had incredibly difficult moments just figuring out how to get up, you know, out of bed every single day. And then I look at other founders who are able to, you know, have an easier path because they have less overtly different characteristics. And that adds to the heartbreak and that adds to the challenges. So, you know, I wish I could give you a strong answer on how, you know, that what that balance looks like or how am I doing it? Because I honestly don't have an I don't know how. All I know today and particularly in reflecting over the last couple of weeks is that there's got to be something. I've got to be able to find it. And it's got to be something different from the, the mantras of, of self-care and startup grinding. Like there's got to be more humanity in these conversations because building something beautiful can't kill someone like mm-hmm. nothing's worth that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sorry. Sorry to throw no. like all that out there. No, no, no. Thank you. Thank uh, you. That is exactly like what I think absolutely needs to be said. Like, thank you actually for, for, for being so honest and authentic because you're right. There is like no real 
middle ground for the the hustle culture of being, you know, a startup founder, a fintech founder, which we all know that the hustle culture is a scam. And then on the other side, right? Like how do you just like not let something that you're building and also like love destroy you? And I like I appreciate that like we don't have the answers yet. And you know, we're we're also trying to figure it out. And like you don't have to put on like a facade all the time and you can be honest and you can say like you know what, today I was freaking sad and I, or today I didn't have a damn idea what to write and so it's hard or whatever it is. And I think saying that more often is almost more powerful than, you know, had you been like, I'm really holding up okay or, you know, or um, here's like a smile on my face, which, you know, I know you of course wouldn't do. But so I appreciate that, that authenticity and just being honest and vulnerable here. So thank you, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, my, yeah I mean, we... we- we deal in a, a intimate and vulnerable business of finance. So I feel like it's incumbent on us to be able to do that. And, you know, I think the other thing is that we all need to just start being a bit more open about these things. So other people don't know, don't feel like they're alone. Like I know that, you know, definitely when you're building something, you feel like everyone else is hitting success and everyone else is pulling it off. But I mean, the truth is that we're all stressed out. We're all cobbling it together we're all manicuring the successes and, you know, scuttling, you know, the failures. And I I don't know, you know, hopefully maybe this can, you know, just spark a little bit of optimism or maybe a bit more candor, you know, in at least the fintech community, Mm -hmm. which I will call community because we choose to associate with it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, no, and I agree. And um, yeah, I mean, I've had my own, I've had like, I've battled so much imposter syndrome uh, since Mm. like launching my own, you know, newsletter and podcast. And even though I'm like so lucky and privileged, I have like team, I have a salary, I have, you know, so many things it like, it's hard to navigate that constant output, right? With especially with social media, right? You're like, you could easily be like, super happy and smiley on social media. And then like, the next minute, you're like, Oh, my gosh, do people actually like, read what I write? Are people actually using my app? Are people actually happy with this? Like, Oh, my gosh, like, oh, there's yeah, the, the anxiety monster can really come and get anyone and, and it, it can be easy to look at the internet and see success and think you aren't growing. But I think when we take a step back and really try to focus on our journeys, that it can be helpful and being honest with the fact that these things are there and we just have to accept them and try our best to keep pushing onward. Yeah. So thank you. Um, Well, I have loved this conversation so much. Thank you for sharing so much about your experiences, the app, uh, changing lives and just being super honest about some of the things that happen in our world and kind of demystifying some things. Um, but I will ask for your final thoughts and my last question for you, Kate, which is please tell us what the F we can expect from you and Euphoria slash the Bliss app next. Yeah, we're going to continue to press forward and just make tools that can restore dignity and agency to the transgender community. I'll be honest, I don't entirely know sometimes where we're going. I just know that we're going to better days than where we're currently sitting at. So um, what to expect from from Bliss, at least, uh, you know, we're just going to continue to go deeper into different financial experiences, continue to optimize what we have already and make ourselves as accessible as humanly possible. So those are kind of the short term priorities in terms of euphoria as a whole. Like my biggest hope is that we'll be obsolete, uh, that our technology will never be needed. Um, but until that day, you know, comes, we're just going to continue to expand our different technologies 
to make sure that we can meet the transoul at every intersection in which they may stand. So, you know, we've got a lot in front of us. Uh, three years feels like a lifetime when you're starting something new. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly a reminder to me as it is to everyone who's working on something, including yourself. But, you know, there is still a lot of future out there and there's a lot of opportunities for things to kind of change and, and take off in ways, you know, we can't expect or, or foresee. So, yeah, it's a pretty murky crystal ball at the moment, <laughs> but uh, it's still shiny. I'm willing to look into it and, you know, try to carve out whatever future holds for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. And thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, I think there's just so many great pieces of advice and, and honest truths uh in this episode um, that I think lots of founders and uh, folks will be able to relate to. So thank you so much. That is a wrap on this episode of What the Fintech. Thank you again to Kate for joining us. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you loved this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button and you can find me on all your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time, talk to you all soon.